all, all the white sharks that I've interacted with, I picked the ones that were showing me all the cues that I wanted to see. And I never had anything but them being very calm. And actually, you know, I know it sounds outlandish, but wanting that interaction, actually seeking that interaction after a couple of goes. But then, you know, there's other ones that have totally different personalities and that's not the case. I don't want to get anywhere near them and I don't want to let them anywhere near me. All right, welcome back or welcome to the Finding Mastery podcast. I'm Michael Gervais. And by trade and training, I'm a sport and performance psychologist. And the whole idea behind these conversations behind this podcast is to learn from people who are on the path of mastery, to work to better understand their psychological framework, to understand what they're searching for, what they're driven by, and to really dig to understand the mental skills that they use, how they use them to build and refine their craft. Finding Mastery is brought to you by Bubs Naturals. Like you, I am mindful about what I put into my body. So for me, it usually comes down to ingredients and simplicity. The shorter the list, the better. And that's why I've been loving Bubs Naturals. Bubs creates products with high quality, all natural ingredients that are designed to help us get after the adventures in life. For years, I've been a huge fan of their hydrate or die electrolyte mix. I mean, that's a fun title for a product, isn't it? It only has six total ingredients. It's packed with electrolytes. I love the taste. No added sugar, no artificial flavors, none of that stuff. It's great for post-workout recovery. That's when I use it. And I also use it during long periods of travel, which I've been doing a lot lately. And so thank you for the hydration here. And a ton of athletes that I know swear by them too. They're currently in just about every MLB locker room. They work closely with the Red Sox, the Yankees, I know the Rangers, Cardinals, Diamondbacks, and, and many more, of course. I'd love for you to go check them out. I think they're doing a really nice job. Just head to bubsnaturals.com slash findingmastery and enter the code findingmastery at checkout for 20% off your first purchase. Again, that's bubsnaturals, B-U-B-S naturals.com slash findingmastery with the code findingmastery for 20% off your first purchase. Finding Mastery is brought to you by Hims. Hims is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-informed treatments for erectile dysfunction (ED), hair loss, weight loss, and more. Health struggles like ED are common, but they can be hard to talk about when it comes to finding a solution. That's why Hims has been a game changer for so many men. The entire process is 100% online and if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and in discreet packaging. No waiting rooms, no pharmacy visits. Plus, you can manage your plan directly on the HIMSS app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. So if you or a loved one has been struggling with ED, I really want to encourage you to go check out HIMSS. And I know ED often has a psychological component as well. So be sure that you're stacking some psychological best practices into your daily routine as well. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash finding mastery. That's hymns, H-I-M-S dot com slash finding mastery for your personalized treatment options. Hymns.com slash finding mastery. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider 
who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash EOF for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. Okay, this week's conversation is with Mark Healy, a professional big wave surfer. He's a legend for sure. Award-winning spear fisherman, free diver, photographer, filmmaker, and part-time Hollywood stuntman. He understands the water. He understands how to relate to creatures. He understands how to relate to water. I mean, he's a true waterman, and he's changed the industry based on what he's done. And he has no shortage of major achievements in his career, earning his first surf sponsorship at age 13, and then eventually going pro at the young age of 17. And at 31 years old, he racked up victories at big wave events like Toro Santos. And it, that is just a massively scary wave, you know, off the, in the Pacific Ocean. And then back in 2008, he nabbed the Spearfishing World Cup. Eh, what do you know? And so he's a legend for sure. And while he's encountered his share of close calls in hostile, rugged environments from sharks to blackouts underwater, Mark thrives on the elements of danger that are inherent in his work. And he describes to us how he does it. And that's a central part of this conversation. That's why I'm excited to introduce him to you. We discuss embracing challenges and why it's important to face adversity head on rather than running from it. And when you get to that edge, that point where you're beyond uncomfortable, like you're at the edge of your capacity, that is really where you learn who you are, what you're made of. That's where you really get glimpses as well of what's possible in your life. And so this conversation has much to do with the glimpses of potential and the process to get there as it does anything to do with water. Mark just happens to be a person who intimately understands what it means to be a human in hostile, rugged, even calm waters. So Mark is wise beyond his years, and I can't wait for you to learn from him. And so with that, let's jump right into this conversation with the legend, Mark Healy. Mark, how are you? I'm great, man. How about yourself? Yeah, fantastic. Thank you in advance for spending this time. I've been able to watch what you've done in your work for a long time. And so I'm super excited to be able to have this conversation with you. So I can't wait to see where we take it. Thanks, man. Happy to be here. Cool. So just from like the, the outset, how do you describe like what you do in your lifestyle and like the whole, like how do you, when people say, what do you do? Because from what I've seen, you do so much. So how do you describe it? Yeah, I, I've kind of had to di distill it down. Um, and basically what I tell people is that I do things in the ocean that people are either incapable or unwilling to do. <laughs> <laughs> That's, oh my God, that is great. That is so perfect. Because like, like what I've seen, okay, so you and I have some mutual friends. Right. And the way they describe you is far beyond a waterman, like a, like a legendary waterman. But it's almost like when they describe you, and this is the first time you and I've met, that they don't know exactly how to say it. So I love how you just said it. And swimming with sharks, surfing big stuff, like over and over and over again. What are some of the things for folks that aren't familiar with your work and what you do um, that are fun to talk about? So I've been a professional big wave surfer since I was 17. So that's coming up on a lot of years now, <laughs> 36 now. So I've been doing the professional big wave surfing, traveling around the world, 
during my entire life since I was a little kid and was introduced to surfing, I was very much into free diving and spearfishing the underwater world. And uh, that actually became a profession as well at the same time, probably around my mid-20s. So that kind of caught up. It was always a passion I was trying to share. And then I actually found ways to make a living out of it. I've done, I do a bit of stunt work in and out of the water for, you know, Hollywood movies. I'm an entrepreneur. I always got hustles going. So I have a couple of different businesses I'm involved in. Uh, work with the scientific community with shark tagging. Uh, do a lot of underwater filming. Yeah, kind of, I'm all over the place. Okay, so before we... I- I, before we get into the fun business stuff that you're doing, you there's a video of you. Uh, what was it? Maybe like five, six years ago that, that populated where you it was you uh, underwater with sharks, with a gal, like swimming. Like, I, Do you remember this video that I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, who was the gal? By the, uh, her name was Roberta Mancino. And that was basically to launch GoPro's underwater dive housings. It was amazing. Like the whole thing, it just captured something that was like scary, intense, real. There was mm-hmm. a sensuality to it. Like it, like it was, that was fantastic. Like that was, did you feel good about that? Because when I watched it, like it, it's really good. To, well, like from, from my lens, it's like really good. Well, it was really interesting. So the whole story behind this was, um, this all started in Fiji. Um, my my girlfriend Kim, who's was nice enough to weather two weeks of diving in absolutely horrible conditions with me, just was a total trooper. So I was like, okay, we're gonna hit Tavarua for two days on the way out, and we're gonna uh, just go have some relaxing days on the island before we leave Fiji. And it's right when we hit the sand at Tavarua Island, this guy comes up to me. And he's like, "Oh my God, it's you!" I was like, "What do you mean? What I do?" And he's like come, come, come. And he just grabs me and runs me up to the restaurant. He's like, man, you have to meet my friend. He was literally talking about you last night. He's all, you should meet him. He, he owns GoPro. And yeah, go meet how good is that? He's like, oh my God. And they're like, oh my God. And like, oh, we're having a conversation about a future product launch. And he was like, I need a guy like Mark Healy. <laughs> no. I happen to be in Fiji stepping on the sand. And um, he's like, okay. You're gonna do the uh, all the dive stuff for the launch, that's, and that's, I got to meet the team, and yeah. that was the first thing we did. I mean, do you, when you look back at that video, and what's the name of the video so folks can can watch it? If um, uh, Shark Riders, Shark Riders, that's it. Okay, when yeah. you look back at that, do you have that same affinity that I have with it? Like, like you captured something that was dangerous and risky and beautiful, and and like I said, sensual and sexual, even. Like, do you look back at it that way, or do you see something and feel something very different? Well, for me, for me, when I'm when I'm head down on a project, like I'm I'm I want to get it done. I'll look back at it later. But we were doing like eight hours solid a day in the water. Like it was hard work for a good week. And uh, Brad Schmidt, who that was my first trip with him. We've been on many adventures since then. Great guy. He was the one who conceptualized the whole story and everything. And it was the first time working with him. And I was like, it sounded really like out there. His game plan for this this whole storyline. I was like, well, we'll see how it turns out. But I just got to make sure we get all the shots and everything and everybody stays safe. And um, when the final product came out, I was like, damn, Brad, you got some skills. <laughs> like, Yeah, it was it's like that. Yep. Yeah, but it was like, 
you know, I was head to the plow really filming that whole thing. It was amazing. Yeah, cool. And the reason I'm asking this way is because when I when I'm gripped by something and literally it sucks me into like I I don't want to turn it turn away by it. I'm not I can't be distracted because it's so gripping. I'm always curious if the person that was experiencing it if if they look back and they're like, yeah, they captured it or it was like, man, that was that was movie magic, you know, and they did a great job, you know, making it seem a certain way. I mean, it was it was such an awesome trip in that, you know, you had to get Roberta had no experience with sharks before. Really. No way. Or diving. That yeah. was her first experience in it. Yeah. Okay, so people that are listening right now that don't know what we're talking about, I, seriously, press pause for just a minute, punch over to whatever player and find the video and just watch it, and and then you, this conversation will make more sense. Okay, so then let's jump off into like how, why sharks, and how do you help people free dive with sharks, or or maybe not even free dive, but how do you help people get um, familiar and comfortable with sharks. Can we talk about that? And then I'm going to want to rewind and say, how did you get to the man that you are today? Cause I want to get that context to better understand your journey, but let's go right into sharks. Cause it, you know, I'm, I'm scared and fascinated and, uh, and I love the animal as much as you know, you can. Well, um, it's just learning their language and learning how to speak back to them in their language. You know, you have to meet them on their ground. Uh, a lot of people, some people are willing to do that and some people aren't. It's kind of like, you know, if you spend six months a year at your vacation home in Mexico, but you never bother to learn Spanish. <laughs> so that's kind of what I try to teach people is to recognize the language that these animals are speaking. And when I say speaking it, I mean with, with their body language and collecting as much information from the, the surroundings of the situation to figure out motivation behind the language that they're telling you and you can get a pretty darn good read on them and a lot of this too is having a like a realistic understanding of shark behavior and and their motivations yeah yeah that okay so that's what i was going to say like i can read when a dog is pissed off or scared or whatever and or a horse or you know like their ears do something right yes um elephants whatever like they they, they send signals that i think I'm more accustomed as a, as a land creature to be able to recognize what are the signs or communication strategies that sharks have? The very like kind of foundational shark behavioral cues are um, where they're swimming in the water column, how they're swimming. Uh, are they swimming in like a very gliding smooth way? Are their movements erratic body posture are are they starting to dip their pectoral fins? Are they arching their back? Are they just doing something that looks out of place as far as like how they're holding themselves? Looking at their gills, are, are their gills, some species of sharks, like great whites, they do gill flaring. Um, some sharks will gape, so they'll open their mouth kind of like, you know, the same way a, a cat's going to hiss or a dog's going to growl like, this is my teeth. Do you want to? you don't want a piece of this kind of thing. <laughs> so that's not a friend. That's not a friendly sign. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So have, have you been bitten? No, no, thank God. Yeah. Seriously. Have you been, um, aggressively nudged or poked or swatted? Oh, I've been nudged plenty yeah, you, of times. You, you have been. Okay. And then yeah. uh, even, even with a, a white shark or is that like, I see, I don't know enough about sharks. All, all the white sharks that I've 
interacted with, I picked the ones that were showing me all the cues that I wanted to see. And I never had anything but them being very calm. And actually, you know, I know it sounds outlandish, but like wanting that interaction, actually seeking that interaction after a couple of goes. But then, you know, there's other ones that have totally different personalities and that's not the case. I don't want to get anywhere near them and I don't want to let them anywhere near me. And it's, it's just like humans. Okay. <laughs> With much, much larger teeth. Okay. I want to ask about Mick Fanning in just a minute, but what, and your, your, your take on it, but what, how do you describe sharks to people that only saw jaws or only heard the, have heard the myths that, you know, sharks kill people? How do you describe sharks? I describe them as wild animals. You know, it's it, it's the characteristics of a wild animal. I feel that there's is kind of polarization, like there is with any topic these days, <laughs> that people will debate on social media. But uh, you know, you have one side that that is very diminishing side and very small at this point. You know, that think all sharks are bad. I don't care if there wasn't a single shark left in the ocean. And then you got the other extreme that. They're wonderful unicorns that are farting rainbows and they want to hand you marshmallows and, you know, or will blame a human, which most of the time it is, you know, a stupid maneuver on the human's fault when they get in a bad situation. But then you have to admit at other times it's not. And they're, they're wild animals. Like, why do they have to be one of the two? They are wild animals. You can be in danger sometimes. They have personalities. Um, so, you know, you might get that punchy one. You might get that, that street punk one. It's possible. So it's a dynamic creature. Yeah. It's, it, full, full capture of, you know, your respect and your understanding of it. Like, it's not, like you said, rainbows and it's not, you know, uh, full on, I don't know, beasts, you know, they're, they're, they're wild for sure. Okay. So there was a, there was a, um, a shark off of my, my local beach. Uh, there's a couple fishermen chumming and so they were chumming they attracted uh, a shark which there's not a whole lot of sharks here in southern california um they're there but not not local and um we now have two juveniles just i thought you'd be interested in that that are just kind of hanging out off of one of the beaches here and so we had our first shark shark attack in maybe 25 years and um it was because these guys were throwing out raw meat and there was a swimmer near it they didn't the swimmer didn't know had no idea what was happening Took a yep. nice little chunk out of his leg. So um, makes sense, right? User error there. In that same sense of not just having a predetermined conclusion about a shark's behavior, you know, oh, it's just curious and I can't do wrong or oh, it's just a killer. That totally disregards the set and setting, which that is huge. That is like probably the most important factor more yeah. than anything, set and setting, like okay, I'm going to stop for a tick and think, like, what's going on around me? Like, is there a person fishing from a pier? Is there this, that, or the other? How far? You don't know if that shark's just traveled 2,000 miles across the ocean and hasn't eaten anything in weeks and is borderline starving to death. Like, you just don't know. Yeah, it's like that's right. Yep. Yeah. Or and, having a road rage thing. That person is just like had something crazy bad day happen and all of a sudden <laughs> small thing makes them go off. 
<laughs> okay, um, Mick Fanning, one of the most influential best surfers, uh, competitive surfers in the world, um, one of the most influential surfers in the world, period, was recently attacked, uh, was it last year? I think it was last year, or maybe even the year before that. two years ago two now. Two years ago now. And so how do you explain that? He was out in the water, one other person. I'm just curious what your thoughts are, really. There was only one other person. There was a contest. It was whatever. And um, certainly this was uh, an aggressive act towards towards him. And he wasn't bitten, but, um, you know, it was pretty intense. So what are your thoughts on something like that? Well, the Jeffreys Bay area in South, uh, South Africa where that happened has a healthy white shark population. Big time. So there yeah. is white sharks there. Yeah. They see them fairly regularly there. And that shark, based on just those frame grabs of when it was happening – and the condition of its dorsal fin looked like a teenage shark, you know, teenage and human years. So it wasn't, a, I mean, it's plenty big, but it's not a, in the spectrum of white shark size. It's, you know, just past juvenile. And uh, when I see sharks at that size, and especially how intact and kind of perfect its dorsal fin is, like these animals live in a rough environment and they get banged up. They get a lot of scars. You almost never see a, a larger one with a dorsal fin that's perfectly fine and not missing some chunks or have some deep cuts in them. So those are a couple of things that show you that the age of the shark. And what happens is when the white sharks, they move from juveniles to adolescents like this one, they have to start switching to eating mammals. So they've been eating fish the whole time. So you imagine like this is – this is a kid learning how to drive stick shift for the first time. Yeah, great insight. This is the first time I've heard this insight, you know, so that's yeah. really cool. And that's why they make mistakes. They got to learn how to hunt mammals and they've been striking out guaranteed because they're they're probably they're trying to hunt seals and sea lions that are still alive because I'm sure they've evaded several attempted attacks before and they're like, yeah, right, I'm out of here, dumb kid. And they're going to go around and they may have never encountered a, a human sitting on a surfboard and they're like, oh, finally a slow one. I'm going to, I'm going to see, I'm going to try this out. You know, it's like awkward high school dance for them. So they make mistakes and a lot of attacks are because of this, like, I think of this feeling out period, this like white shark puberty age. Finding Mastery is brought to you by Apollo Neuro. I am really excited about what Apollo Neuro is building. If you haven't had the chance yet, I highly recommend that you go check out the conversation I had with our co-founder, Dr. David Rabin, on the podcast. It is well worth a listen. Unlike traditional wearables that simply track your biometrics, Apollo's doing it totally differently. Apollo Neuro is designed to actively improve your health by enhancing sleep, relaxation, energy, and focus. So how's it work? Developed by neuroscientists and physicians, Apollo delivers these soothing little vibrations. They call them Apollo vibes that are like music your body can feel. More rapid vibrations help to improve your energy and focus, while the slower vibrations help to promote rest and digest in your body. And the best part for me, they're grounded in good science. Apollo has been tested by thousands of users in clinical and real-world trials. I would love for you to give it a go. It's making a meaningful difference in my life. And because you're listening to this podcast, you can receive an exclusive 15% off an Apollo wearable. Just head to apolloneuro.com slash findingmastery 
and use the code FINDINGMASTERY at checkout. This is an exclusive offer. It's only for us here at Finding Mastery. So be sure to use the code at checkout. Again, that's Apollo, A-P-O-L-L-O, Apollo, Neuro, N-E-U-R-O, apolloneuro.com slash findingmastery, or use the code findingmastery at checkout for 15% off your purchase. Finding Mastery is brought to you by Cured. If there's one big rock to get into the container when it comes to dialing in your wellness, one thing that stands out among the rest is sleep. Whether it be improved physical health, mental health, performance, creativity, quality sleep is the gift that keeps on giving. And I'm sure many of you are familiar with the science that supports that. And if you're struggling with sleep or you just want to dial it in a bit further, Cured's Zen formula just might be a great solution for you. Zen is a nootropic that is formulated by Cure's very own in-house clinical herbalist, and it contains a blend of reishi mushroom, ashwagandha, chamomile, passionflower, and broad-spectrum CBD. That is a powerhouse combination. Zen could be a great little addition to your bedtime routine. They recommend taking it about 45 minutes before hopping into bed to let the reishi and ashwagandha and chamomile and the CBD do their thing. So right now, because you're listening to this podcast, Cured is hooking you up with a great offer. You can try Zen for 20% off when you visit curednutrition.com slash findingmastery and you use the code findingmastery at checkout. That's Cured, C-U-R-E-D, Cured, nutrition.com slash findingmastery and enter the code findingmastery at checkout to save 20%. Now let's let's go backwards just a little bit. Why sharks for you? Why big wave surfing? Um, why doing things that most people won't do in the water? What about your history and your path and your upbringing has led you to at least those three extraordinary um, behaviors? It's really, I guess, exposure and enthusiasm got to me at a very young age. So since I've been like, four years old. I'm born and raised on the North shore of Oahu. My dad has been taking me, you know, as a kid, you know, I would go with him. I was with him and his friends helping out like cleaning fish and getting dragged along on a dive buoy or surfing outer reefs with them. So it was, it was never like kitty gloves used with me. It was like, you're hanging with men. And, um, so I have like a lot of exposure to being underwater and in larger surfs. So it's very natural. And the fact that I do have the personality type that I do, it kind of fit perfectly. So I, I never left it. I stuck with it. I enjoy it. I'm still as enthusiastic about it as I ever was. I never set out for the shark stuff, the big wave surfing stuff I did set out for. I did go after it. But the shark stuff, it's just kind of happened naturally through spearfishing. You know, you're, di- you're creating the perfect storm to have encounters with sharks. You know, you're being quiet, you're not being intimidating, you have struggling fish, you have the smell of fish blood, usually on your person. And um, so it creates the, the, the perfect set of elements to have encounters with sharks. And especially like, you know, all sharks are wild, but there is a certain amount of habituation that happens at different dive sites and feeding sites where the sharks show up, they know what to expect, 
and they don't act like I know there's a difference in how they act and some of the ones that I see when I'm just out spearfishing and the ones that I see at a site where they're somewhat habituate, habituated to. So I got to, through firsthand experience, get to see a lot of different shark personalities and then things just came up and, you know, I volunteered to help out on a shoot and go to Guadalupe or, you know, go spend a month in Fiji, living in a village, spearfishing. Like I had a real passion for it. I wanted to be a marine biologist when I was a kid. I didn't think I was going to be a professional surfer. Okay. And you know, I grew up on nature documentaries and that stuff is like what I'm super passionate about. So I found a way to fund it all through surfing and go actually live it, which has been great. <laughs> okay. So phenomenal, organic, just like probably much of your life. And then except that you said like I set out to be a a big wave surfer. Okay. Yes. So I want to go back to two things on related to that is I, I want to know mom and dad. Like I want to know a little bit about mom and dad and I want to know what it was like to be a boy in a man's world and what mm -hmm. the, the, the benefits of that and the costs to that are. And then I want to know like how, when you said I set out to be, um, or maybe that's the word I, I used, I don't know, but what you were determined <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you were determined and you, you reached that goal by 17, like to get on. There was no, I don't think there was a pro surfing. There was not a big wave surfing tour at that time. That's only like 10 years old or something or eight years old. So yeah, yeah so that had to be like sponsored like mm -hmm. video clips, right? At that point, it yep. was paying your way. Okay, so let's go back to, let's go back to mom and dad for just a minute. Give me a context, like who is mom, who is dad? Are they together? Do you have other kids like uh, in the family? Give me that like tone of the upbringing. So yes, uh, I was the first. I got a brother who's seven and a half years younger. Uh, my dad grew up in Hawaii here uh, because my grandfather was in the military. He was stationed on Oahu. Uh, my mom is from Mississippi. She showed up here 37 years ago. First day on the North Shore, went to go buy some weed, bought it from my dad. The rest is history. <laughs> okay. Um, did they, did, so I was born, they, that they is unbelievable. all of that and became, you know, very committed to the Christian faith. And, and so I didn't grow up in like that kind of setting, but yeah, we grew up at sunset beach, which is a le legendary big wave, you know, typically breaks when it's bigger and, you know, legendary big wave. So you grew up looking at something that was pretty intense on a regular basis. Yeah. You know, we were broke. I think our rent was 200 bucks a month, holes in the floor like that you'd fall down into, um, you know, like missing window. When you'd walk into the house, there's a spear shaft like almost at forehead level right by the entry of the doorway that was stuck up in the ceiling from my dad changing his bands on his gun and accidentally fired and just buried in a beam. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay. And it was just, I, they had, put it this way, they had like uh, low income housing for like homeless families and our rent was $50 cheaper than that. So that's like the condition of the house. But mm, mm. you have this amazing uh, world-class legendary surf break that people travel from around the world at my front door. So it's like, you know, you have all this access. It was, it's an amazing place in Hawaii where you can... You can be poor but have all this access at the same time. Okay. So with that, with those conditions, what was the tone of the family structure? Was it stress because of lack of money? Was it 
Was there deep love and it was like hope or anxiousness or frustration? What were some of the, the, the tone and emotional components? Um, I, I feel like it was always just fun. My parents were very like, like we did a lot of stuff, you know, besides surfing. It's like I played soccer, I wrestled, I ran track, I did gymnastics, I did like a lot of stuff and we would go and, you know, like I, we just did a lot of things together, I guess. And, um, obviously all like the somewhat dangerous stuff was with my dad and mostly in secret. <laughs> okay. and, um, yeah, I mean, I don't feel, I think that's one of the, I, and I always tell people one of the biggest benefits and legs up that I've had in my entire life is being able to experience having little money and not seeing any change in my happiness chart the whole time. So, and, and I really feel like that's a hindrance for a lot of kids that grow up with money because there's, I see, and I see this in wealthy people sometimes where they're not scared of anything more than being poor. They never experienced it. They think being poor equals like always having to be stressed and being unhappy. So you, you've like fundamentally changed your family's social economic status based on your talent and your dedication to refining those skills. And, and you, we'll get to this part in a minute where you curate experiences for legitimately billionaires. And yes. so you, you've seen the bottoms to the most. Yeah. And I, let me tell you, it's like bottom economically speaking, but it is not the bottom. That's right. Speaking. That's, that's, that's what I wanted to. Yeah. Uh, that's what I was in my heart. Yeah. And okay. So if there was a thought, or yeah, let's go thought first. Was there a thought that your parents installed in you? And that's a weird word, but dropped in or watered or seeded in you from an early age that you're like, God, I wish other people would get this for their family, right? Or they could just adopt it now. Like what would be that thought or two thoughts, you know, or three thoughts, whatever. There are a couple of moments on that, that street that I grew up on, like very, it's so interesting because they're like my earliest memories. But I remember them like vividly. One from my mom and one from my dad. One of them was I just tripped and ate it on the sidewalk. And my knee was cut and it was bleeding. And I remember crying, crying. I was like, Mom, come and grab me. And this is this is interesting because this is like somewhat out of character for my mom. Actually, no, she she's I, it's it's an interesting one. She was clearly trying to teach me a lesson, and she was like, uh, and she was about ten feet away. And she was like, "Just get up and walk over to me." And I remember like something clicked in my head. I was like, "Wait a second, my knee actually doesn't even hurt that bad. Yeah, it's bleeding, but it doesn't hurt, and I can totally get up and walk to her." I just stopped crying, walked over, and I was like, "All right, that's it." Like, oh, it, yeah. it, yeah. it instilled something in in me that like, you know. There's no use in whining about your situation like you're the one to change it. And then another one was um, we were drive, driving back to our house on our street. And uh, I mean, North Shore is pretty ghetto back then. Like, there's, It could be in a rough neighborhood. And I remember my daddy, there's this giant local dude, like big dude walking up our street. And it 
I don't know what the context was because there's a guy I'd never seen on my street before. And I don't know if there was something else to this story that I, I'm not aware of. But my dad, he's like, hey, Mark, look, see that guy? Well, yep. He's all, he's a big, scary dude, huh? He's like, yep. He's all, just remember, it doesn't matter what any guys look like. They're a little kid just like you inside. Never forget that. Doesn't matter what they look like, they're all little boys inside. How did that shape you? So the the skinning the knee and mom saying you can still operate under some sort of pain, like come here and like, okay, so you got that lesson. What did that lesson teach you? That no matter how scary and big they are, there's still a kid in there. It really it taught me that whether it's physically or with status or Mentally, people use a lot of mechanisms to, I guess, put the scales in their favor, dominate you, intimidate you, push you around, but to just see past that at, to, okay, what's, what's, at the, what's at the center of this person? And to not kind of see that superficial facade that, that people may try to put out to you. And does that lead you to compassion? Does that lead you to you're not going to punk me just because of the way you look, or I'm not going to lose, I'm not going to lose my footing just based on your reputation? Like where where does that take you? And I want to add one one more quick one on this, Mark, which is I want to see how this and maybe it doesn't, maybe it does, how it stitches to you being an incredible taker of risk, you know, or experiencer of risk. And then I know I need to temper that because. The things you do might not be risky to you. 90% of, 95% of what you do is not risky probably, but I know you get stretched because of, you know, who you are. So I, I just want to see if there's any link inside of uh, the two. Well, it, it, it was an interesting journey, like this concept as a lot have, you know, it, it hits another level in that, you know, it's. It's a defense mechanism. It's a useful defense mechanism or protection mechanism to know that about other people. Or to, in the same ways, just because that person has that uniform on doesn't mean they know what they're doing. Like, question things. It's don't take things at surface level. Don't be afraid to question things and ask hard questions that come to you. But as far as you asking whether realizing that there's just a kid in the center of somebody who might be looking intimidating or might have an intimidating title or uniform on or whatever it is, does that lead to compassion? And I'm glad you brought that up because as I've gotten older, I've realized more and more that a lot of reasons that people put that out there is because they're insecure. It's because maybe their, their dad told them they're you know, not worth shit their whole life. And now they're trying to overdo it. Like it usually comes from a place of like self-protection or pain or insecurity. And so it like, I think it helped me have compassion for people that are hard to have compassion for (laughs) in the end. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's easy to have compassion for people that are vulnerable and Mm -hmm. for those that don't demonstrate it and use other tactics like anger, frustration, intimidation, whatever righteousness it is hard you know to have compassion there okay and but it sounds like it it helps you deal in some kind of, i'm imagining this it helped you deal in some kind of way with intimidation and whether it's intimidation of sharks maybe it changed the way you see you know intimidating some things i don't know 
uh, big waves, sharks, like for, for me, both are really intimidating, <laughs> you yeah. know, like, and they but can it's, be for me too. <laughs> oh, I know. Uh, yeah, for sure. Like, and when I said like, you know what I was going with that 90% or 95% of what you do, you probably don't see, think is dangerous, but for the rest yeah. of the world, it really is. And yes. the way I, I liken this is that some of the folks that I spend time with and work with that do extraordinary things, we missed, and maybe we only see it on TV, we missed, the rest of us missed when, you know, like Felix Baumgartner jumped out of space at 130,000 feet, the Red Bull Stratus program. We missed when he jumped off the curb when he was two. We missed yeah. when he climbed his first tree at four and jumped off the branch. We missed when he, you know, like we missed when he jumped from the top of the stairs at age seven. You know, we missed all of those progressive growth related activities that he's done. And we've missed all the times that you've spent, you know, like scared from sharks, you know, and fearful from your first shark or whatever. So, and I think something key to that too is what we missed is how many people inundating him with their doubts. Oh, and go keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Keep going selfish. with that. You're, you're that, that's the one that like gets by They're like, Oh, you're crazy. It can be dismissive. You're crazy. It could be like, why are you doing this? And then it could be like, you're selfish. You're going to go and get yourself killed. And like, you know, for what, uh, you're going to make all these people sad yep. in your life yep. and everything. Is, like, is mom alive? Is mom still alive? Yep. Is dad mom, still alive? Mom and dad are still down the road. Okay. And uh, are you, are you in an intimate relationship? Yeah. 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 And yeah. any, any children on board? Uh, yeah, I, we have two kids, two goats. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> um, my lady Kim and I have been together for seven years now, I think. Yeah. No, no kids though. No kids. Yeah. No kids. Okay. So, but you, I bet you get this all the time. You can't love your mom if you're doing this. You can't love your, you know, your, I don't know, girlfriend, but I, I didn't yep. know if it was married or not, but you can't love your intimate loved ones if you're doing these things. That's what I, I hear that a lot from folks mm -hmm. like you, you know, and I get it from people, um, my peers as well, because my travel schedule, this, that, and the other, that like, what am I doing to my family nature? And it, and it, it it's confusing for me at some point time as well. Like, what am I really doing? <laughs> and yeah. so how do you, how do you, how do you answer that? And I don't want the PC politically correct, whatever. I want the real, like how I struggle with this is what I'm saying, Mark. Like, how do you answer that? Well, it's, I know when I'm, doing these things that I am like, I have a very, sh like when the waves are really big, I have this undeniable sense that I'm doing what I was built for. I'm like, ah, uh, I can, I can like relax. Like it's me, you know, like it, it might be a really weird thing for, you know, to liken it to, but like maybe some people that thought they were there, other gender their whole life and finally got an operation. They're like, Oh, it's me. You know, like, yeah, good in, really good insight. In yeah. ocean, I'm like, oh, I can, I can be me. This is like me at the core. I can let this out. I'm in an environment where I can be me without like, without judgment, honestly. How did that come to be that clarity? I, I will tell you, I feel that way about my craft and, mm -hmm. um, and my wife recognizes that for me as well. Like the, this is your gift and you've worked your ass off to have the skills to support the gift. And like, this is what you should be doing with your life. Right. So how, how did you get that clarity that, that you are built for? And let me, let me try this intense environments, hostile environments, rugged environments, you know, 
It's not just big wave surfing. Like you, you've taken those sub components that allow you to be great in big wave surfing into other intense environments as well. Yeah. I've kind of always been that way. Not to say that I haven't had to like overcome a lot of nervousness, like a uh, non-beneficial anxiety to, to get progress, but I've always operated better in chaos. Like, Drop me in a third world country that's just a mess and I'll thrive. You put me in a suburb in Orange County, I'm going to go nuts. Finding Mastery is brought to you by AG1. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know what a big supporter I am of AG1. And it's almost been for a decade now. So I love what they're doing. I, it's something I drink just about every day. And part of their marketing slogan is that it's a nutritional insurance program. and like, I just, I love that. That's the way it feels for me. And that's because each serving of AG1 delivers a dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and so much more. It is a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. I like to take it first thing in the morning, which is also recommended for optimal nutrient absorption. And so what I do is I just fill up my shaker, add some cold water, a scoop of AG1, and a little squeeze of lemon. I shake it up and I'm ready to go. Or if I'm in a rush or you know I'm, I'm ripping and running on the road, I just grab an AG1 travel pack to take with me. I feel great after drinking it, not only because of the nutritional insurance idea, but there's just a, there's a sustenance that happens when I drink it. And I love recommending it to friends and family because I know AG1 is formulated with science-informed rigor and the highest quality in mind. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily. And that's why I've loved partnering with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, I want to encourage you to give AG1 a try and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and also get five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash findingmastery. Again, that's drinkag1.com slash findingmastery. Finding Mastery is brought to you by AquaTrue. We all know how important hydration is to performance and recovery and well-being, but it's not just about how much you drink. The quality of your water plays a big role. And if you're like me and you don't fully trust tap water, and I think for good reason, research by the Environmental Working Group has shown that three out of four homes in the U.S. have harmful contaminants in tap water. That's why I'm really excited to introduce AquaTrue. Their purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters. It's incredible. I can literally taste the difference in my water. Plus, the filters are affordable and long-lasting. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That adds up to less than three cents per bottle. It feels great to know that all at once, I'm saving money, getting the highest quality water for the Finding Mastery team, and helping make a positive impact on the environment by eliminating single-use plastics all the way around. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and it even makes a great gift. And right now, because you're a Finding Mastery listener, you receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. So just go to AquaTrue.com. You spell it A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code Finding Mastery at checkout. Again, that's aquatrue.com 
Enter the Finding Mastery code at checkout to receive 20% off any purifier that you buy there. Talk about the anxiety and your relation, and then re your relationship with chaos. Well, obviously, and that's a that's a big misconception. It's like people often say you're fearless or or whatever. It's like everybody has edges, like the edge of their ability, the edge of their experience, and you experience anxiety coming up to that edge. So I do experience anxiety like all the time. It's a it's a process. And it's funny because I'll be teaching somebody how to surf and recognize them doing the exact same thing in a, on a waist high wave that I do on a 65 foot wave there. It's the same process. That's right. Which is he like, hesitation, which is yeah. overthinking, which is not being smooth, but trying to rush through it and not all of that. Right. Absolutely. And they'll be so hard on themselves. And I'm like, you really need to understand that I do this myself all the time. Like, yeah, what a cool it's insight. It's a human thing. Yeah, what a cool insight. Yeah, but your your scale is is different, but your edges. Yeah. So you know what? I, to, I'd love for you to uh, calibrate this with you, is that I talk often about the importance of running to the edge of instability. And if you can do that on a daily basis, you push your boundaries, your edges further, uh, further away so that, that when you push them further away, that there's more space to play in your life. And yep. would you agree with that kind of relatively easy formula? Absolutely. Okay. So then, then layer two of that is what are the edges of instability that are available for all of us? It's emotional instability, vulnerability, mm -hmm. you know, and would you nod your head to that as well? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Like one of the... One of the most beneficial things that I did is like sing karaoke for the first time. I was terrified of that. Like that would make me quiver. Yeah. Okay. Ago. Did you do it because you got put <laughs> up to it or did you do it because you're like, you know what? It's an edge and I want to get, I want to get close to that edge. Like how do you, I, yeah. I just did it because I was so damn pissed off at somebody else who's just punking me out. <laughs> like, and that's why like some of the, my, my, personal breakthroughs, a lot of them are because I was forced to, or it was like I had a yes or no decision to make and I forced myself to do the yes decision. And I've never, ever regretted that once. Go into that. How do you, what's the mechanics? If you spread open that process of yes or no and go into the space between that, that decision, because we can all say no, we can all say yes as well. The yes has, well, okay, let me stop. How do you make that decision? Or what's the process to make that decision? I think it's a similar process to when, when you're in a situation kind of like maybe you're you're at a, a cabin that you're renting up in the mountains and you have no like skills working on a house or something. I, for some reason, I always think about this like being a man, you know, it's cold out. It's 2 a.m. You hear a pipe burst outside. You're like, I don't know how to do this. I don't have tools here, but there's nobody else around. You have a yes or no situation. Yeah. You can get yourself up out of bed and get your ass outside and try to start the process of figuring it out, or you can act like it's not happening. You'd say yes or no. And uh, I think facing those things and instead of hemming and hawing at a certain point, and it's the same thing like dropping it on a big wave. You just have to go, screw it, I'm going. Like you have to flip that switch. That's a great insight, Mark, which is you can act like it's not happening. 
I, I, you know, you've dropped like four pearls in this conversation and that one is massive. And I remember when I was a kid, the first time I felt that, I, I don't know if you'll appreciate this, but I heard something in the closet and I'm talking, I was a little kid. And I've had the same kind of experience. I, I want to hear it. Yeah. So that, <laughs> so I, I, and I was like, okay, there's, a, I remember as a little kid going, what do I do here? And either I get really quiet. I remember processing this, right? Like I get, should I get really quiet? Maybe that person that's in my closet or the monster, whatever, won't recognize me or see me. Should I go, should I try to leave? That was option two or three was, should I go to the closet door and open it and face it down? And I tried all three of them as a kid and all three of them were terrifying, right? Like standing there, pulling the cover slowly over my head, trying to slow my breathing down so that maybe the monster or the person won't hear my breathing. It sounds like I was a tortured kid. It wasn't that it was just like a creak in the closet, right? And, right. But I remember trying to slow my breathing down. That's awful. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a good skill that I've learned, you know, <laughs> but it's but it's awful. And then trying to sneak out of the environment, that doesn't work as well. You know, so maybe sometimes that is the right approach. Yeah, yeah, but not for a growth approach, right? Yeah. So yeah. I love that insight that pretending as if it weren't happening. Yeah, that's, and that's yeah. that's the thing is I think a lot of people – get so accustomed to it, it it's like a it's a vicious cycle snowball effect if you will um of people who don't face face problems and they act like it's not happening then they never they don't develop this active reference point of the last time i faced something that i didn't want to and how it has benefited me like the longer you go past, the, the the further away your memory is of facing a problem and the beneficial aspects of it. So then you have no, you know, you, you're lost in the wilderness. Like you're just thinking all negative as far as facing the problem. So like classic denial is what you're talking about. Like deny it, deny it, deny it. And people that, that struggle, and we all have blind spots, me included. Absolutely, I have a ton. Yeah, and so – but. And I think that you might say that it, just acknowledging that you have blind spots keeps you curious about what they are. And then when you're curious about what they are, then you recognize them and then you make an informed decision. Is this something I want to work on? Okay. Sport and performance psychology is born out of studying the most extraordinary people in the world. That's where we learned as a discipline. Then the science lens got put on it to say, let's put what we think we're learning in through a scientific frame to study and research it. Okay. If you were to have the full institution of, let's call it human edge development, like like helping people grow. What would be one or two of the top themes that you would want to share with people? Like how, how do we do this? Based on just your organic way of growing. And we might've already covered them. And that's why I'm asking the question, like if you, if you were to sit in front of the most brilliant minds and say, hey guys, you really need to study this and this is how I've been doing it. The way I teach people is is I don't want to be talking to them and them nodding their heads and I can see it in their eyes that they don't fully understand things. I I I believe just from personal experience that somebody has to believe themselves and understand the subject matter. They have to believe that they can implement this. So so I think that a big part of that is, uh, how should I word this? Something that's really helped me is being able to 
to break down my thoughts and my emotions. And free diving and breath holding really helps you with this. And just life experience has, has made me face things that I probably probably would have left unfaced <laughs> otherwise. But really being able to break down my your motivations. Like, okay, it's I kind of look at it like how when they when they're doing studies on fish, they'll pull, to see their diet, they pull them up, they shove a pipe in their their mouth pump water in and all their stomach contents come out then you sift through it you're like oh here's a little shrimp here's a little squid they're feeding this this and that it's like having that fish gut idea with your motivations oh this is ego this is because other people want me to do it this is because i think it's my identity and people are not going to value me as a person if i'm not the crazy guy all the time or whatever what a great like mechanism to think about a personal inventory. Like, who am I? How, what's driving me? What, are I, what am I actually consuming? Are they healthy for my sustenance for, for my future? What am I choking on? <laughs> right? Yep. Yeah, look, what, what am I eating that's not feeding me? And what am I eating that is really e efficient? Okay, mm -hmm. with, that, with that inventory, what have you, and I love that I want to get to this last thought you had, which was, people see me as the crazy guy. And so that probably worked to get you at some level, your adolescence level to push further. Mm -hmm. But the, the path of wisdom, I think it changes in some kind of way. So I want to hear that, but I want to go to just before that is what are some things that you have said to yourself or felt or been driven by that you have recently let go of? And it, that could be a really cool gift for, for me and others listening, like what are some things that you've let go of? Things that I've let go of. Something definitely like from a career standpoint, things that I let go of are the a lot more the nagging need to like, ha, you know, to produce small snack type stuff whether it be content, whether it be just garbage, like, yes. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yes. That is rad because you know, I got pressed so hard, Mark on this podcast, like early on, don't do it like this. Don't have like have bite size snackable bits of information that fit in the modern person's uh, consumption model, which is like under three minutes under yeah. six i can't i can't figure it out like i gotta the only way i know how to get to the real stuff is by getting real and that takes a little bit of time oh absolutely and and <laughs> all signs point to the, the the modern consumption model being negative like what's the positive benefits that anybody's getting from it yeah it, it seems mostly negative to me but yeah stuff like that just just being like you know what i'm willing to take financial and career risk to do what I think is the right move here, regardless of what everybody's chirping about. And I'm, I'm willing to take it on the chin if I'm wrong. And I'm willing to acknowledge that I'm wrong later, but I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to do things the way I would like them to be done. <laughs> I love it. What are you searching for? What are you most hungry for in your life? <sighs> what am I searching for? What I'm most hungry for is 
to just live a fulfilling life and not not get caught up in all the bullshit, you know? It's pretty it's pretty interesting like how, you know, you do better. I'm, I'm economically I'm doing not too bad. I got a house. I got a lot of stuff that I never thought at a younger age that I would ever have. But it's not without a a cost and and a cost that's uh you know non-monetary it's like every single thing you get and everything you get into is is just one more string it's like uh what was that? <laughs> you you feel like the the giant what was that old story with the giant and he wakes up and he's tied down by all the little people <laughs> it's uh not jack and the beanstalk beanstalk was it yeah, was no. it yeah <laughs> Yeah. It's just one more lashing point that just lashes you down and, and anchors you down to one place. I don't know. I just want to. I just want to have the curiosity of a child and go and explore and you know make the most of this human life we got. What is your spiritual framework? My spiritual framework. I grew up in a Christian household. I grew up going to church. I've read the Bible a few times, cover to cover. Um, Rare. I, I do have a, you know, a, a definite spiritual, spiritual side to me. I don't think I, I'm, I've definitely changed my views in that. I don't think anybody has a, uh, an accurate manual for, for what God, God necessarily is and how we could even get our brains around that. But I do think there's a lot more going on than uh, than we think. I I do believe in the fact that you know you can say it from a just as like a purely what we know in this day and age basic scientific point of view, and that energy never dies; it's only transferred. And just learning how information is transferred, and how even concepts like Mozart could do uh, a you know write a symphony how many years ago, and you could take that recording from how many years ago and play it for some kid in a village in Indonesia and he's going to experience the emotions that were meant to be elicited in that music. This guy is communicating from being dead for a long time. Like how do you, how, you know, how do you make spirituality or like how do you define it? I think it's just a problem with humans being able to define and communicate what this whole concept is, but I know it's there. Mm. And is there is there life after death? You know, I, I know you said there's a transfer of energy. I think so. And is there a, is is the world as we know it? Is it created by a being, or is it? Um, do you have a different way of thinking about it? I think the concept of uh, like a physical being that's personified and looks like a human and has a gender is kind of ridiculous for us to assume <laughs> mm -hmm. if if, if uh, a consciousness or or being if you will or whatever words that you know thousands of cultures have tried to put on it is it's something that's far beyond our detailed understanding but i think in a spiritual sense I think there's definitely something to be said about connecting to a power that's greater than you and connecting to others um, in that way. I think we do have a sense for that. 
it's something that's built into us. You've been exposed to and experienced some of the most far reaching cultures of the world. Mm -hmm. And which one or ones are you most attracted to that you're like, wow, this culture is really on it. And you know, they might not, they might not have any modern proclivities, but like, which cultures are you most attracted to that you've been part of? Man, I'm, I'm an Island boy. So I love the South Pacific. I've always been in love with the, the South Pacific. I've loved Fiji since before I went there. That was one of my actual, that was a, a game changer for me when I was a kid and I didn't expect to be a professional surfer. And I, I tell people this is that, you know, in third grade, in fourth grade, in fifth grade, I had to do um, uh, essays on a country. You pick a country. I, I pick Fiji every year. Always was fascinated in it. I read every library book on Oahu about Fiji, all the old missionary accounts of cannibalism and crazy stuff. And what happened is I got a sponsor, and the first trip I ever got sent to, they were like, hey, you want to go to Fiji? I'm like 14 or 15. I was like, oh, my God, it's happening. And college was just out the window as soon as that happened. And uh, I went to I went to Fiji, um, had an amazing week, and uh, the whole group was going to leave. I ran into the office and begged. I was like, let me stay. Let me stay on the island. I'll work. This is on Tavarua. And they're like, yeah, okay, you can stay on the floor of the Boatman's Beret and just do odd jobs. And so I ran back. I was like, sorry, guys, ain't coming. And then I called my parents like, couple hours after I knew the plane left and told them I wasn't coming home for another week. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So was that a risk or not a risk? Well, it was a no brainer for me. Yeah, that's right. It was a risk yeah. that my parents would be like, what? You left the country by yourself for the first time. And you're already not coming home. But it made perfect sense to me. I love it. All right. What, a, what an extraordinary life you've had, really. It's been wild. Yeah, what an extraordinary life. <laughs> I feel like I it, that's the interesting thing is like I literally feel like I've lived at least five lifetimes. How do your friends and loved ones describe you? Like what is what are the words that they use to capture you? I don't know. Probably I guess consistent thing would probably be strong-willed. Has there been a dark side to your pursuits? Yeah, well, sometimes, I mean, you can get your blinders on so hard with something sometimes that it's just, you look back and you're like, oh, wow, I missed my dad's 50th birthday. I missed this or that. Like, oh, my friend's kid, the last time I saw him, they were a newborn. Now they're like a human walking around. So there, there is definitely things that you miss and things that you sacrifice for what you're going after. Sometimes that sinks in when you miss something that you know you can't get back. You yeah. That, I think when it does sink in, that's why I wanted to ask, like, how do you reconcile with that? And I mean, this is the, you're just described like the, the hardest part of my life. You don't, you just try to not miss those later. Yeah. <laughs> you can go, you can go crying about it, but that's, that already happened. It's there and gone. Learn your lesson, adjust accordingly. Very cool. How do you get in your own way? You know, extraordinary life, extraordinary experiences. Um, but what are the ways that you get in your own way? 
in my own way would definitely be mm, there's probably quite a few ways that I do I know there are that's why there's so many to sift through um, I get in my own way in that sometimes I can be like Captain Ahab with an idea just like go down with the ship kind of thing like I have a, I can have a tendency to want to stick something out and ride something out longer than I should have. And that's probably something that I've worked on more than anything. And definitely the second half of my life, uh, I ha I've had to learn through experiences. Like it's easy to stay at the table and lose money. It's hard to walk away when you're up. Oh, cool thought. Walking what away from the table when you're up is like, that's a tough one for me because it's not in my nature. I'm good at grinding. I'm good at pushing against resistance. One more wave. Let me catch one more wave. And that's the one that ends up breaking your board in the middle of the ocean or whatever, right? Did, yeah. I, I've, I've, I've just struck that phrase from my wife. life. Like, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't even say it anymore. Let me get one more wave. I don't even say it anymore. I don't know. No. I, I, you, oh, nothing you, good happens when you ever say it. <laughs> I want to get one more wave. I know. All right. Do you um, – what's that? <laughs> That's up there with hold my beer. <laughs> oh. All right. What challenges you the most? And I asked Coach Carroll, uh, which is the Seattle Seahawks head coach, when I first met him uh, like eight years ago, and I said, what's the hardest part of your job? And he had a really clear answer. What is yours? What's the, what is the hardest part of your life or your craft or your job? The hardest part is trying to force myself to create structure. Yeah, it makes that is sense. By far the hardest for me. Yeah, for sure. Like trying to get us pinned down to get this podcast to. Yeah. <laughs> Please. You know, oh, sorry. Uh, Mark says to me, like, I'm going to be gone for the next six weeks on whatever, like, when we get back. Like, your, your life is pretty unbelievable. But so, do you have any routines in your life or they're none? Like, when you wake up, is there something you do when you go to bed? Like, do you have any routines before you leash up on your with your surfboard or whatever? Unfortunately, the the routine that really sticks is I wake up and I'm probably making phone calls and emails for a good couple of hours just because I'm on Hawaii time, so the rest of the world is ahead of me. And if I want to get anything done that day, I have to get ahead of it. So yeah, and that's that's what I'm trying, you know, more than anything to not be stuck in my pajamas till 10 a.m. every morning. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so for me, it's like. I just I grind and I let everything that's work is like is mixed in with my life all the time and then I just go okay draw the line I'm going to be in the mountains for 3 days hunting I'm going to go out on on the ocean all day today on the ski and I'm just not picking up my phone so it's just trying to find a balance between work and passion is there a phrase I'm getting into philosophy now is there a phrase or a word even that guides your life like do you have a philosophy that 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 you live by i guess the philosophy that i or like if i have a really hard decision i just try to base it on whether i can lay in bed at night and be happy with the man i am you know mm. and it's like i've 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 given up a lot of money because of those decisions and i don't regret it at all where do you find inconsistencies or conflicts with, with that? Like when you go to bed at night, is it about money or like? Well, it's just like career choices, you know, mm -hmm. 
one uh, uh, I mean, one example is getting away from a traditional energy drink. Did that you was, do, did you do I that? Away from a bunch of money. Yeah. And uh, everybody, even people who know how I think and people who I would imagine would be like, yeah, right on. They're like, you're sure you need to do this? Like, you don't have to be a martyr. It's not going to really change anything. <laughs> you know, you're not going to change the world. But I was like, you know what? I, I just don't feel that it's right for me to do it anymore. And it comes back to how we were talking about Felix and him jumping in, how you you didn't see all the people who tried to put doubt into him. But when you have something that's an ethical question that you feel like there's something not right and the people closest to you, because they're looking out for your own good, are saying like, do you really have to do this? Like, you're not going to be making your life any easier, man. Like, and is it going to make a real difference? And like, that's hard because you know they're not trying to just put doubt in you. They're trying to look out for your own good. And all of a sudden you're like, I'm the only one. There's a voice inside of me saying that I need to do this. And nobody else thinks it's a good idea. <laughs> am I crazy? Or yes. You, then yeah. you have to start wondering, like, am I nuts? Like, and they've told me I'm crazy, so maybe I shouldn't listen to myself. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, okay. And then, and then how do you how do you like what do you do? Do you get quiet? Do you write? Do you talk it out? Do you like what do you do to get to clarity to be able to make a decision? I do it the same way uh, that we discussed earlier. I think about it and think about it until I haven't seen another angle, and I know it's a yes or a no, and I force myself to face that. And when I say force, like I really am forcing myself. I. I don't want to face difficult decisions just as much as anybody else doesn't want to face them. But I force myself to it. It's like a separation of who you are. Like, you know, it's an, it's another part of me, the same part that, you know, will fight for survival is going to force me to make a decision that I know I need to make. So let's take it underwater. What's the scariest condition you've been in where you've been held under? Where was the wave? What were the conditions? And if you could, if you could spread apart the moments between the moments about what it was like when you were under and held under for too long. This, the closest one I've had for sure, I think was first time I ever went to Peahi and surfed Jaws on Maui. And it was huge. Uh, I, I had had a flu for like two weeks, like a debilitating flu. So I was just weak physically. And this is in my younger years, not as smart. If I was in that shape now, I would have never gone out there. But I really wanted, you know, to experience Jaws for the first time. And when I was that age, it was like every swell was the last swell ever. <laughs> you had to be on it. And um, I went. We had a really long day. I was totally tired body cramping all over the place we had a little bit of gas left this is back when towing was still the deal and i told my buddy i'm like one more let's just i got one more in me so let's make it a huge one and i'm just going to try to pull into a barrel um because i think it's possible no one's doing it but i think it's possible and uh wave came i kind of faded the section so i like it it's i'm going right but i'm fading the opposite direction to let the wave catch up and then I go to set my line to go in the correct direction, hopefully hoping that it, the wave built up and it's going to create a big barrel. And I just see out of the corner of my eye, I see this lip landing on my ankles. The next thing I know, I remember looking at my feet. I was, God knows how high up in the air just because I got blown up. It was like stepping on a landmine. So looking at my feet and my board 
with the backdrop of the black cliffs in the background and watching my board disengage from my feet and go twirling off and getting enveloped by white water, hitting the water and just feeling like my head exploded. And um, I realized through the violence that it must have been my eardrum rupturing. And I had this little thin toe vest. It, the zipper basically just ripped off and it was coming off of me and I grabbed it with my hand, luckily. Like, you ever really get hit hard by something and or or just, yeah, get completely blindsided. For a moment, you're just like, ah, fuck it. <laughs> like, you don't even, like, I remember having this, like, slow motion. It must have taken half a second, but this thing was coming off of me, and I was like, oh, my God, like, your body's almost numb. You got hit so hard. And I, but I'm like, I should probably make an effort to grab this thing. I grabbed it, and I just hugged it to my chest. And just it sounded like a, a jet was going off in my head. I could feel all this cold water free flowing through my eardrum and into my throat and like making me choke and just spinning and spinning. And I was underwater so long and I was like my both my legs completely locked up in cramps. I started, you know, getting I, I blacked out before I know through free diving and training like what it feels like. I'm like, I'm I'm dying like well. I never say that. I'm like, I'm getting close. Like this could not end well for me. This this might be the real one. And fully did the slideshow. Here's your life, Mark Ely. See the slideshow and everything. And I remember thinking, I'm like, I have to stop the slideshow. I have to, I have to get myself into a different frame of mind. And so what I immediately thought is, there's this these fish called uku. It's like a snapper, really good to eat, hard to spearfish in Hawaii. And they have this tendency to like come in. You'll, you'll usually be diving deep and they'll come in and they almost know exactly the range of your spear gun and they'll kind of come in just outside that range, go away and you'll be ready to go up. And then they start coming in again and go back down and they just always sucker you into the longest dives. So I stopped the slideshow in my head and went to, okay, I, and I, I made this vision so perfectly, I can still see it today. Like I can remember it better than any dream I had. And this is a completely fictional scenario that I made in my head, but I just owned it so much that I still remember it. And I can see the this this fish, I can see the detail in its eyes, in its scales, I can see the reef structure, what the bottom looked like around me. And I just imagined that thing coming almost in going away coming almost and I got myself so focused on that the next thing I saw there was just really bright white light and I must have been on the surface since my eardrum was blown no equal equilibrium you can't see you're just spinning it's just white light and you can't hold your head up so I just remember really bright white light and trying to suck in a little sip of air and getting foam but a little bit of air and then the next wave hitting me and then the second one, I went through it all over again, and that was worse. And then I don't remember how many waves after that point. And I uh, ended up, next thing I know, I'm in the channel on a jet ski. I'm like vomiting in my mouth and then swallowing it back because I didn't want to be vomiting in front of everybody and, you know, look like a wimp. And Because um, that's it, what they're thinking. <laughs> yeah, because I was spinning so hard wow. in like I couldn't even wow. stay up on the jet ski because my eardrum was blown out. I have no equilibrium. And um 
And it was funny because I saw my friend Sean Lopez at Pipeline like two weeks later. He was like, man, my dad said he grabbed you by the hair and threw you on the sled and your eyes were as big as uh, baseballs. I was like, he didn't pick me up. My friend Jamie picked me up that I came with. He's like, no, my dad said he grabbed you by the hair and threw you on the sled. I'm like, no way. Okay, we're going to settle this. And I called my friend Jamie that I was towing with that day. I was like, you picked me up, right? Just tell Sean. He's like, what are you talking about? I never picked you up. I couldn't get you. So I didn't even remember getting put on the ski or any of that. Wow, dude. Wow. So so how long, what was your process to get back on that saddle? Like what was the thinking and the behaviors that you did to, to face that down again? And maybe it was easy. Maybe it was like, oh, I can't wait to do it again. That sucked. Or, but maybe it was, there was a challenge. Well, it was, it wasn't hard for me to come back after that. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was, it was hard for me at Jaws to like see if I could still have a relationship and find some love in that wave, which I've been through that, that up and down with Jaws like solid three times. Uh, yeah, it's a volatile one. But uh, that wasn't hard for me to come back from because I was like, okay, yeah, I need to wear more flotation. If I have more pl- flotation, that wouldn't be a problem. I could psychologically let go and and be like, I'm coming to the surface no matter what. And just that mechanism of knowing, like, even if I lose consciousness, I'm coming up is going to help you. Um, so I could adjust accordingly. For me, the hard ones were when you lose friends and you're on site for it. And you get to see people that I know full well and spent a ton of time with that were at superhumans, you know. And when you see that happen, you're like, you, you can't lie to yourself anymore. You're not 10 feet tall and bulletproof anymore. You've seen it. It's there. So then you have to go back and start digging into all those questions. And that, those are the times that made me realize how to do that, how to dig into those questions. Why do I do this? Is it because of my ego? Is it because this is the only way I feel that other people value me? How did you, how did you answer both of those? Because obviously both of those are involved for you, right? Because there was things yeah. that you had to question. So how, how did you wrestle with those? I thought about it a ton. I asked myself a lot of questions and tried to be honest with myself. But as I guess all – there's this theme that we keep having to where you can think about it all you want, but you have to have a point of action. You have to have a yes or no. And the way that I I – uh, got, I guess, closure to that internal conflict was always, okay, I'm going to go out again on a big day and I'm just going to see what happens. And I'm not going to put any pressure on myself, no pressure on myself whatsoever. I'm going to see what happens. And it's so weird being like such a strong willed, determined person that, I, and, 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 uh, independent person like I am. I've never been in that situation where I'm like, I got to be here. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. It's, it totally reminds me of like when they have those rescue animals that they nurse back to health and they open the cage and they're like, is this thing going to go run out or we're going to stay in the cage? And it was just through going out and doing that. And I get in it and I'm like, I love it. And I, I had amazing, like some of my best performances during those sessions. It was pure me being me naturally and joy and no strings attached just in the moment. 
Oof. Thank you, Mark. Yeah. It's pretty rad. <laughs> Mechanically now, switching gears a little bit, like how many hours of sleep do you get on a regular basis? Not much. Yeah. I've, I, did, uh, I, didn't, I imagine that for you, that just kind of the way you're living. Well, yeah, I, d I have weird hours mm -hmm. uh, just from travel and, you know, sometimes you just got to get up and make things happen early. Uh, but since I was a little kid, I wake up an average night, I would say I wake up between 10 and 20 times. Okay. That's, that sounds like a sleeping disorder. <laughs> it is. I, I have a full sleeping disorder. It's brutal. Oh God. So right. like, uh, and especially when I travel. So for, I just went and did a speaking engagement in Bermuda and I didn't sleep for, I slept three and a half hours out of 48 hours before I had to do the speaking engagement just cause I got so twisted up in jet lag and my weird insomnia. Mm, so it just awful. gets brutal sometimes. Awful. Oh God. Okay. <laughs> uh, how do you, how do you manage it? You just, you just grit it, grit it out and then fall asleep later. Like for try to, you know, you can't really make up sleep, but like, how do you deal with it? You, yeah. <laughs> I finally figured something out hmm. and, uh, it, it's so funny because I've never wanted to take any kind of drugs or anything. Like I would take Ambien on flight sometimes before, but Ambien would be like exactly five hours on the dot asleep. Then I'm up and I feel like crap the rest of the day. Melatonin, I just drag afterwards. Hmm. The best thing, and I wish I had been using this earlier, is weed. No kidding. If I smoke marijuana one hit in the evening, the only time I smoke, I don't like I don't like day drinking. I don't like being stoned during. I like having my faculties up and running. But if I smoke marijuana, I will sleep so much better. My sleep is like at least four hundred percent better. Wow. Did you buy it from your mom? Travel. So I'm screwed. <laughs> <laughs> Do you buy it from your mom? No, no, no. They, they stopped doing that years and years ago. <laughs> all right. Good. So, all right. Um, okay. So how's nutrition? Like, how do you think about nutrition and fitness? And uh, I got a couple more mechanical questions. Nutrition and fitness. I just try to eat natural foods. So I bow hunt a lot. And uh, so I eat a lot of wild game as far as my red meat. I get my own fish all the time. So I have a chest freezer and I got months worth of my protein in there. Um, try to eat clean vegetables, stay away from the GMO and heavily sprayed stuff. Uh, try to get as much local food as I can. At home, it's no problem. I eat great at home. Kim, my, my lady, is like an amazing cook. She makes really good healthy food. For me, the struggles on the road sometimes, you know, uh, so I'll just take supplements with me so I can skip me bad meals on the road. Do you have Air a supplement that you're using right now that you're, you're a fan of? Yeah, well, I'll do, um, I, I do some, uh, progenics for meal replacements. Uh, I like that. And then I kind of like, I bounce around it to be totally honest. I'm a full fair weathered health nut. <laughs> mm -hmm. I have a hard time staying on one single thing all the time. But uh, pretty much what I just try to do is find good food in the loca location I'm going to be and find adequate replacements for the crappy food in between during the tra traveling parts. Yeah, that's, that's a good strategy.
I've been using meal supplements for a long time, but I'm using one now called Athletic Greens, and they became a sponsor of the program. And I'll, I'll send you some and see if you like it. It's got like all the stuff that's hard for me to get in. And um, like it, it absorbs really easy because there's no, I don't get like bloated or any of that kind of stuff that sometimes you can get from those, those supplements. So I'll send you some over and see if you like it. Oh, cool. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So here's some like more mechanical, like where does pressure come from? Pressure comes from more than anything. Pressure just comes from keeping a lot of different fires burning at the same time. Okay. All That's right. where pressure comes from. Yeah. So manage, um, managing that. Yes. Yeah. Managing okay. a lot of different commitments at the same time and just making sure that you feel that people are getting their return on their investment. And at the end of the day, you feel like you did your job better than anybody else could do it. How important is the mental part of the game for you, like for your craft, for big wave surfing, free diving, whatever? Like how important is the mental aspect? The mental aspect, I would say, is at least 50% of either of these games. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I'm lucky in that, I guess. Not not to say that I haven't developed that a lot. But uh, I, I, I'm good on the mental side. Yeah, you are. Yeah. Is there one mental skill that you feel like you've got your arms around or two or three? Is it calm? Is it confidence? Is it deep focus? Is it um, clarity of intent? Like what are the mental skills that you feel like you, you got them pretty well switched on? Awareness, awareness is a mental skill as well. Yeah, I would say awareness of, of big picture and I, I mean, I could definitely, it depends on the scenario, but being able to slow things down in, in a chaotic, stressful situation. Um, but there's, you know, there's tons of chaotic situations that would just, you know, that I'm not used to where I might maybe weaken, but I would say that that's a strong point. And I would say my just mental endurance, if I put my head down on one thing, like, I can weather a lot <laughs> physically and mentally. If I, if I'm looking in one direction and I'm not distracted, I can, I can just weather a lot and, and almost like time just passes by and I look up and I'm like, I'm like, Oh wow, I've been grinding at this for a really long time. Do you like a slow paced environment or fast paced environment? I like, that's hard to say because I think my most natural environment is like, where I've been like, okay, this is my skin as far as day to day living. And it's like being in the villages in Fiji and stuff. You're just learning, worrying about keeping a fire going and going out and getting food and stuff. That feels the best to me. Mm. Um, cool thought. I think, yeah, that's my, my resting environment. But then I need that other side. I need that challenge. But that's part of going out and getting food every day. That's, that's that challenge aspect. Yeah. <laughs> the challenge. Do you consider yourself a risk taker? For sure. Yeah. And then are you a risk mitigator or risk taker? Are you skilled at risk or are you good at gating out dangerous um, elements? I'm definitely a, a risk mitigator. I do not create risk. I take risk, but I do not create it. I make it as minimal as possible. There's a certain amount of 
acceptable risk I'm willing to take in any given situation. And if the situation, you know, leaves a little bit of room, you know, to hit that acceptable risk level, maybe I'll push it to there if I think I'm going to achieve, achieve more or stand to achieve more because of that. But yeah, I'm a risk taker. And I, and I think the foundation of the foundation of, of me deciding to be a risk taker is because I recognize what skills I do have and what perspective I do have that are that arm me uniquely to be a risk taker. Yeah. One of them is dealing with those chaotic or stressful situations and keeping clarity of vision. And the other one is I feel like I'm playing with the house's money because I already know I can be poor and happy at the same time. Mm, so that creates a safety net for you. Yeah. Yeah. And then can you think of a recent time where the risk was pretty intense for you? Recent time where the risk was pretty intense. I feel like there was one recently. Let's see. <sighs> Asked to a man who dives with sharks without any weapons. <laughs> the man uh, who surfs um, 60 foot waves. Seven. What's the biggest surf you've – what was Jaws, that, that story you were sharing? Was that 50? Uh, I don't know. There's waves that day that they claim measured out to like 70 feet. But yeah, uh, there you go. it's okay. so hard to tell. Ah, recently, hmm, I don't know. It depends how you break it down because I, I break down real risk to me is I'm, – I'm trying to think of a time of, of an unacceptable level of risk that's precipitated. And what I consider an unacceptable level at risk is when I don't have any outs anymore, when I, when I hit the – okay – it's up to luck now point, which I almost never, ever let happen. That's what a lot of people that don't know me don't realize. And people who do realize, do know me, do realize is I don't leave things to chance. Another, another gem, like, like, God, that is so on the money for making sure that your skill is on point so that you don't die. You're not trying to, well, I don't know. Are you chasing adrenaline or are you chasing something else? No, I'm, I'm, I'm chasing most people that I know that are as successful as you and have done it as long as you've done it. They're not chasing adrenaline. They, they like it, no. but it, yeah, you don't like it. No, no, I, I, I do enjoy it mm -hmm. when it's all said and done. But, um, what, uh, what I'm chasing is I'm, I'm trying to achieve something. I'm trying to better myself. I'm trying to, I'm trying to walk to that to that personal edge that I have. I'm trying to create more space. I'm, I'm maintaining a familiarity with discomfort, which I think is key to growth. Awesome. And it's, it, those are the moments that count to me when everything is stripped away, when there's no room left for interpretation, where there's no, the human grid and the social grid of your time and place on this planet has zero bearing on your situation when it's stand and deliver and you do it to me that's that's a true takeaway that's a true personal victory is when you can when you can excel in that environment i love this line um and it captures the way of living that's important to me is to be tested in the most ancient of human ways when all you have left is your head and your hands I love that. That's totally my thing. 
I know. That's great. <laughs> I, it's like, that explains it really well. Yeah, I, me too. Yeah. I, okay. Brilliant. All right. So let's do this. Uh, so, so kind of switching, but not really. Like, how are you taking what you've learned and your life journey, and how have you brought that into business? Walk me through what you're doing for clients and like, what are the business things and where can people find you? And like, I, I'm, I'm imagining people are listening right now and going, oh yeah. And like I said, before we started this, once you get your nonprofit up and running, like I really want to support it um, from a business standpoint um, in, a, in a meaningful way, hopefully. Thank you. And uh, I will really want to show you that <laughs> that's going to a good place so I can fall asleep at night knowing that I'm good man. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, you to do that. Yeah. So a little bit of a background born and raised on North shore of Wahoo, of course. And I always found it so bizarre that, um, and this is back then it's gotten a little better, but you know, you can go to a hotel in Hawaii, beautiful golf course, well-maintained, good service. But when these people go down to the beach, it's like, here's a foggy mask, or a soft top that's shredded and it'll give you the, the worst rash on your first surf lesson of your life. I'm like, or yeah, here's your, your crappy pair of fins and masks go drown on your honeymoon. And um, it made no sense to me. Like, there's this weird old mentality. Like, how are they not recognizing that people would come to this, this place, Hawaii, for the, the ocean and the beaches primarily? So I was like, man, that doesn't make sense. It never made sense to me. And through my years of traveling and being in so many circles, you know, I got to meet so many talented people, whether it's from the cinematography side, this, the stunt coordinating and safety side to experts in all these different water pursuits, whether it's in the dive world or the board sports world, and, and also go to different locations around the world. And I noticed all these locations – you go, like, might be a surf place, but they don't have good fishing equipment. If you're like me and you're into everything, right? Or it's a good dive place and they don't have uh, good surf equipment if there's waves in the area. It's like they're, they're all j jack of, uh, you know, they're master of one trade, not jack of all trades. And so I was like, you know what? There's a real opening. Like, what are my tools? What am I strong at? I'm good at going around the world and finding the most awesome, amazing, interesting things in the ocean and, and experiencing them. I'm good at troubleshooting things internationally in new and exotic places. I have lots of experience with that. I have a lot of experience in the safety uh, aspect of things. And in my Rolodex, I have the best people in the world at any given thing in the ocean one degree of separation or less and a fairly solid reputation of treating people well and fairly so people do trust me i was like man i could i could put together things and experiences and adventures for people that they literally no matter how much money they wanted to throw at they could never duplicate and it, and i love to teach like i get so excited to see people experience these things that I value so much. And so I was like, you know what? And the only way to really convey these concepts or do this right is to put full attention towards it and to bring the best people in the world for their perspective disciplines. And just because somebody's the best in the world doesn't make them the best teacher. So finding the, these people who I know through firsthand experience are good teachers. They got a good temperament. They're, they're great people to be around, but they're also absolute experts at what they do. And putting together these teams and, uh, and just 
top to bottom, complete and full dedication to, to doing this right. Because yeah, you could go do a surf school and that's like fast food for me, you know, who's to say that I could give a way better teaching experience than Johnny Tsunami down at the random surf school <laughs> because it's just so fast and you got to turn out so many people. So I'm like, the only way to convey the value is to really dive into this and really put a ton of effort into it. And so that's how obviously it naturally has to be a high-end market product because it it's very, very involved and customized. So do you have packages or to some, would somebody call you and say, hey, I want a water experience? Guide me. So it's a lot about getting to know the person and, and a lot of questions. Um, so somebody's going to come to me, I'm going to be like, what part of the world and are you interested in? Do you want to go warm water, cold water, temperate waters? What are the activities? How many people in your group? Is it a family group? Do you want educational things for your children? What are your goals with your children? How much time do you want to spend together? What is the group dynamic? What, what do you want to get out of it? Then I start getting a feel through questions and correspondence of what that person wants to do, what they think they might be able to do, and based on the information that I have, how I can facilitate and experience safely, or at least give them the turnkey option of, of doing something that's maybe beyond what they were imagining to begin with. So it's, it's about conversations kind of like this. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and Taylor making it. So like a super high-end, customized concierge experience in the ocean, doing whatever it is that your heart desires. And then, you know, what is the range? Is this something that, let's say, I don't even know how to think about it, but is this out of the range for most people? Or is this something that, you know, if you, I don't know, like, how, how would I, how, how should we think about that? Uh, I would say it would just, a good ballpark to give it is, a week-long experience is definitely going to be in the six-figure range. Yeah, there you go. Okay, so this yeah. is this is a significant commitment of resources to make this happen. Yes. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. Okay. And then where? So where can people go to find that? HealyWaterOps.com. So H-E-A-L-E-Y WaterOps.com. And uh, just about getting done with the new website um, for the last few years. I've actually been doing this already. I wanted to keep it kind of like Fight Club, like if you know about Fight Club, you know about Fight Club. And it's been going great and it's growing, but uh, now's the time to kind of unveil it to the world and uh, and it should be exciting. It keeps awesome. me in the ocean, keeps me challenged and keeps people connected to our beautiful oceans and want to value it. And uh, I hopefully it benefits the communities that we visit around the world. Brilliant. And shark tagging as well? Yes. So working with uh, my friends, marine biologists, uh, with shark tagging projects. And uh, I, I guess a key point that I always try to put out is a lot of – I'm only doing the shark tagging thing because there's a niche that I've found that I could fill to do it more efficiently, save them time and money, and it would be easier on the sharks. And that's to do it uh, via spear gun with a modified uh, spear gun shaft. And that is because – on scuba, you can't really move through the water column effectively for like the more timid varieties of sharks. 
or to get sharks that are maybe like the scalloped hammerheads or the pelagic threshers to where they're not responding to chum. They're very sensitive to hook and line, so they can have a lactic acid buildup and there's a mortality rate. And you always have the question of whether the uh, data is actually accurate because if that shark was tired to to the point of near death, there's always when did it regain a normal behavioral pattern. So um, what I've been doing is going and basically using my spearfishing skills to be able – I hunt them the same way I would hunt a fish. I have to put a little tag in them, and it's like a tiny little prick in them. In the most sensitive sharks, we went and tagged pelagic threshers, which had never been done ever before. There's no research data. And uh, nine out of nine of them, and I would say this is the most sensitive shark you could do this to, nine out of nine visited the exact same location as tagging the following day, which shows no, yeah. no change in behavior. Not traumatized, so, yeah. Yeah, so that's – you know, I'm not trying to do it as like, hey, this is my new career gimmick. Like it, it actually is like a piece of the puzzle that I can help fill and I'm, I'm happy to do that. Either they weren't traumatized or they came back to find you. Yeah, where is that <laughs> asshole that gave me that tetanus shot yesterday? What are your sponsors? What are your current sponsors right now? Lululemon. I mean, let's thank Dave Goto for putting us together at Lululemon. Like, yeah. What's Dave? up, Dave? Dave is the absolute man. It's been a pleasure working with uh, Lululemon Men's over the last year. New relationship, but uh, my gosh, it's different from any sponsorship relationship I've had yeah. in the past. They're they so are, nice. They I thought I was being like fattened up for the kill. <laughs> no, like, no, they're legit that way. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, I, I, I visited the office and people are just coming up and they're like, oh my God, it's so nice to meet you. What are your goals? How can we help you with these goals and and help other people? And like, do you want an espresso? I'm like, whoa, this is like, am I being punked right now? These people are so genuinely nice here and care about you. It's awesome. Yeah, it is good that way. Yeah. So um, uh, my other sponsors are Yeti. Those guys are pretty rad. Oh, so much fun with those guys, man. Good crew. Uh, Goyaki, Yerba Mate Tea, mm-hmm. uh, Progenics. Sporting Club, which is a cold pressed juice, uh, really awesome story about that. Um, he, the, this guy uh, Tugger, who started it, he would make cold pressed juices for us going to surf Jaws, and we'd take them throughout the session, and that's how he honed his whole formula. And man, did it ever make a difference! So he took like these two years of us test driving it, and he's made a product. So it's been fun to see the whole journey and still be along for the ride. Um, wave riding vehicles, my board sponsor, Braemont watches, actually working on a signature watch with them, which is going to be, has been an awesome and really fun project. And, uh, who am I forgetting? I know I'm forgetting someone. I'm it's, like, get it's like, the, it's like this wedding speech or whatever, right? I want to thank everyone. And then, Oh, aunt Susie, <laughs> like afterwards, yeah. Damn, how can I forget aunt Susie? Yeah. All right, cool. Um, Awesome, man. So where can people find you? Online, we've got uh, Healy uh, – what was it? Healy Water Ops. Water Ops. Easy. Healy Water Ops. Easy. And then social media, what else you got? Healy Surf, real original, right? Uh, at Twitter. I'd say Instagram is my main form. I'm also on uh, Facebook, but I don't use it often. Okay, brilliant. Mark, seriously, I, I've uh, this has been like – 
this is exactly why I started these conversations is to be able to experience what I'm feeling now. So thank you. And uh, I'm stoked. To know, yeah, I'm stoked to know you. And I'm stoked to ask you really hard questions and to watch you work as evidence of the awareness that you have and the ability to um, explore difficult and challenging ideas. So thank you. It was awesome. Thank you. And I want to follow up on, I want, I want your advice on how I can tame my, unstructured self because i need help (laughs) (laughs) i don't know it's working yeah but we'll we'll have some conversations afterwards for sure okay and for everyone listening thank you for allowing this to happen thank you for being part of our finding mastery tribe and if you're not part of it it's findingmastery.net slash tribe and it's a whole group of community of people that are supporting and challenging each other on their path of mastery and uh, you can find me at Michael Gervais on Twitter and then on Instagram is at Finding Mastery. And there's also a second podcast we called uh, called Minutes on Mastery, which is just pearls of wisdom. And you've got you're loaded on those from from this episode for sure, Mark. And then, Mark, the, the question I forgot to ask you is like, how do you articulate or think about mastery? I don't want to be a buzzkill, but I, I see mastery as a rainbow. You know, it's it's a it's a concept that you're never going to catch because my problem with, I think it's something to be pursued and never caught. You can't master the external world. You can try to master your internal world, what's going on with yourself. That is possibly attainable, but you know, I, I think it's a big mistake to consider mastery something that is part of an external exercise because if you're doing that, you're then only using the, the litmus test or gauge of, of comparing yourself to other humans. So you're only master compared to another human at this point in time on Earth. So what happens if you become master of something and the second best human at that pursuit is that much further behind you? Does that mean you're the master and it doesn't go up from there? Like, And I think anybody who's actually gotten to that point knows better than anybody that the real mastery is mastering what's inside your head. Brilliant. So good. Mark, thank you again. Thank you. All right, brother. Take care. All right. Have a good day. Okay. Bye. Thank you so much for diving into another episode of Finding Mastery with us. Our team loves creating this podcast and sharing these conversations with you. We really appreciate you being part of this community. And if you're enjoying the show, the easiest no-cost way to support is to hit the subscribe or follow button wherever you're listening. Also, if you haven't already, please consider dropping us a review on Apple or Spotify. We are incredibly grateful for the support and feedback. If you're looking for even more insights, we have a newsletter we send out every Wednesday punch over to findingmastery.com slash newsletter to sign up. This show wouldn't be possible without our sponsors, and we take our recommendations seriously, and the team is very thoughtful about making sure we love and endorse every product you hear on the show. If you want to check out any of our sponsor offers you heard about in this episode, you can find those deals at findingmastery.com slash sponsors. And remember, no one does it alone. The door here at Finding Mastery is always open to those looking to explore the edges and the reaches of their potential. 
so that they can help others do the same. So join our community, share your favorite episode with a friend, and let us know how we can continue to show up for you. Lastly, as a quick reminder, information in this podcast and from any material on the Finding Mastery website and social channels is for information purposes only. If you're looking for meaningful support, which we all need, one of the best things you can do is to talk to a licensed professional. So seek assistance from your healthcare providers. Again, a sincere thank you for listening. Until next episode, be well, think well, and keep exploring.